Sometimes, the best stories in golf aren't found on tour. You'll find them at the back of the range. And here's your host, Ben Adelberg. And once again, welcome to the back of the range. I am your host, Ben Adelberg. This is episode 210. So I'm heading out of town for a few days to play some golf instead of covering golf. Yes, even I take the occasional golf vacation from time to time. This time I'm heading to Kiwa Island for a few days. Going to be a lot of fun. 16 of us on this trip. Good God. Lots of interesting characters. I will definitely post a few pictures, of course. I can't not bring a camera at this point to a place like Kiowa. But before leaving, I absolutely had to get this episode out to you all before hitting the road. My guest on this episode is Amelia Miliacho. She just returned back home from Wales after representing the United States of America at the Curtis Cup. And yes, Amelia, along with Rachel Heck, Rachel Keene, Brooke Matthews, Rose Zhang, the entire squad, they pulled off a come-for-behind victory and brought that cup home. We spoke about her amazing week in the UK, her start in the game, her All-American career at Wake Forest, and her summer internship at Golf Channel. A lot of great stories in this episode. This episode was so much fun to record. You know, the goal here at the back of the range is just to have it sound like two people are just sitting around telling golf stories and sharing some laughs. That is exactly what you'll hear during this episode. Not going to waste any more time. Don't forget, follow along on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Every episode is available at thebackoftherange.com. But for now, I'm heading to Kiel for some golf. But before I hit the road, let's welcome my guest on this very special episode. Amelia, you're at the back of the range. How are you? Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm okay. Um, I'm not suffering any jet lags, so I'm I'm kind of ahead of the game here. You are back from from Wales after a victorious uh, U.S. Curtis Cup experience, and I think we were just talking about it. It's a little bit easier to get get the clock figured out and get your sleeping schedule better on the way back from uh, from the U.K. as opposed to on the way over. Correct. <laughs> Yes, I am kind of an early bird in general. I actually got up at 5:30 today to go to the gym, so I'm pretty energized right, right now. You don't need to make the you don't need to make the host <laughs> feel like crap that, that I mean what Sorry. are we doing here? I mean it's I mean I was up by 8. That's a victory for me. What are we doing? Here? <laughs> All right, so up at 5:30 in the gym, ready to go, ready to recap your experience at at, at the Curtis Cup. But what was it like heading over because I've been to the UK uh, more than once. And boy, that that trip over, and then you have to stay awake. Did, did is that how it was when you went over there? Yeah, it was. It was, we were definitely struggling while we were off the plane, and we had, I think, maybe a five and a half hour bus ride after we landed. Oh. Um, so it was. It was. So we honestly, we were like talking for about two hours, just just about random stuff, and then we all just crashed. So uh, definitely uh, a little. A little tired, but we were that had the privilege of the USGA having us fly in business class. So we did have, um, you know, not as much of an excuse to be that tired because we were able to lay down and, you know, actually go to sleep on the plane. So um, we it was definitely a lot better than it could have been. So I was definitely very happy um, and, you know, just excited to be there. It was my first time in the UK. So yeah. uh, it was definitely an awesome experience. 
I'll probably ask you other questions about your your U.S. Curtis Cup teammates, and uh, you know, some will be just you know, real. Well, they won't be embarrassing, but that'll be kind of fun <laughs> and unique. Who? Uh, let's see if we can throw someone out of the bus here. Who is the grumpiest on the U.S. Curtis Cup team without sleep? Who was <laughs> who was struggling the most on the way over? That is interesting. Um, honestly, it was funny. So we walked Conway Mountain. Mountain. Um, I think it was maybe two days after we arrived and Rose was just not having it. Now she's not <laughs> grumpy. She's not grumpy by any means, right. but she was like, guys, like we were like, we're going to walk home my mountain. And she, she was, she was kind of quiet. The uh-huh, whole uh-huh, just like, I'm not feeling this is not, I'm not yeah. feeling this. Oh, <laughs> it's like, I want to rest and, and, you know, but, but she, we, you know, I, I think she, it was worth it when we got to the top and, uh-huh. and it was beautiful, but, uh, it was definitely, she, we were like, come on, Rose, it's going to be okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Um, well, we have we definitely need to get back into Curtis Cup at a later, uh, later time in this episode, but definitely don't want to skip over a couple things. Just want to make sure we can introduce you to the listeners. I know a lot of, uh, a lot of the, gosh, everyone's been seeing you, whether it's covering golf or golf channel or playing golf at the U S women's am or at the Curtis cup. But kind of a rite of passage, um, need to kind of learn a little bit about how you actually got into the game. So, um, you know, before you were an All-American at Wake Forest and a three-time Rolex Junior All-American, there's a lot of stuff we have to, I mean, just the, the stats are kind of uh, overwhelming. But uh, how did you get introduced to the game of golf? Yeah, my mom, she played at the University of Arizona. So she... Uh, grew up in Sweden and played golf. She was actually teammates with Annika Sorenstam. I've heard before. of her. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, really? Yeah. Uh, before Annika turned pro. But just really, my mom has been such a great role model for me. You know, when I was, I was always into sports. So I played soccer and golf. And I wanted to be a professional soccer player when I played soccer. And okay. um, when I played golf, I wanted to be a professional golfer. And my mom, she was kind of really help, helped me, helped guide me. And, okay, if you want to be really good at something, you need to have a lot of discipline and you need to practice. And so she would always remind me, you know, Amelia, if this is something you want to do, which is it's okay if you don't. But, you know, if you want to be really good at something, you need to, uh, you need to work really hard and train, um, train a lot to, to do well. And there was a moment when I was, my first tournament was when I was nine, but um, at age 12, I had to choose between soccer and golf. I was kind of at that stage where I'm going to focus in on one sport. And I love soccer, but golf was something that I was always itching to get better at. So, and my mom played soccer as well. And she, what she told me was, Amelia, if you want to, you know, play really good, do really good in a sport soccer can get kind of political on, on who's the best player. And, and it can be very, it can be harder to, to define like how good you are. But in golf, if you shoot a lower score than everybody else, you're the best on, on that in that field. And she said, that's what really motivated her to pursue golf because there was no politics involved. She could just, she could just play better than everybody else. And then she would, she would do well. And that was kind of the deciding factor. I was like, okay, 
Uh, and I also end up getting cut from my middle school team. So, um, okay. so that also, uh, kind of, which I was still a little salty about, by the way, cause uh, I'm a good goalie. Uh, okay. <laughs> All right. We're not going to, we're not going to go into that part of the episode. Don't worry. We're going to move past it and get off this as quickly as possible. Um, but yeah, so, and that year, um, when I was, um, 12, that was the first year I shot under par, I qualified for the big eye, uh, pine needles. Yeah. Um, and so I kind of, uh, really just elevated my game and it was really exciting and here we are. Yeah. That's kind of the writing on the wall. Um, and, and I guess it's kind of interesting to get that advice and that, kind of counsel at such a young age but it's you know completely spot on golf is a meritocracy you shoot the numbers then then that's that's all you need to look at um i'm just curious when did you kind of start picking up on the fact that you were a little bit more serious than maybe your contemporaries your peers in junior golf or or high school because it's one thing to put the work in but everyone has a different assessment or different idea of of hard work um, you know, you mentioned, you mentioned Rose, uh, you know, Rose Zang, who's right now the number one ranked amateur in the world. And it's, you know, through, uh, you know, it's pretty well known that she'll try and make a hundred four footers after every single practice session. So she works mm-hmm. hard as well. When did you start realizing maybe at, you know, 12, 13, 14, that my hard work is a little bit more serious than maybe other people's hard work? I think I started realizing that when I, started competing on the AJGA at a, at a high level, I was playing the invitationals. I was doing well and just kind of compared to at home, it was really nice to be in an environment where everyone had very similar uh, goals and aspirations and work ethic. And it was really exciting to be in that space. Like I remember we would have 12 PM practice round and there would be, you know, 10 of us at there at 8 a.m. already, you know, practicing. Oh, and wow. I mean, we, we were just, I mean, it, it was cool. And then, you know, after people would have putting contests, but sure. everyone was working. Everyone was always, always working on their game. And um, I think I'm someone that tends to look at how well everyone else is doing and uh, not acknowledge the success that I have had. So okay. that's something where my mom was always reminding me, hey, like, you're doing really well. Look at this. But I also, as a kid, I wasn't that focused on ranking. So for example, when I first qualified for the junior Ryder cup, it was the first time representing the U S I didn't even really know that like I had to play well in the junior PGA to qualify for the tournament. Okay. My mom. So my mom was always just kind of like, just play your game, focus on yourself and, and things will fall, fall into place. And so that's kind of always been my mindset. And then as you get better, you know, you start to realize your success and that's right. when you have to, you know, you use that as like continued motivation versus trying to hold on to stuff. Okay. Cause that's really important because it seems like every step of the way you've qualified for different, um, you know, teams or tournaments or championships. And there's always, um, you know, whether, whether one term is dangling the carrot, but, or, or however you want to look at it, there's always something next that's coming up where if you play well here, it takes you to the next step. So I guess you just already answered the question. You just are super hyper-focused on the task at hand and not thinking or not even acknowledging what could come next. Yeah. And I think, you know, you hear Nellie Corder, she's number one in the world right now. And if you ask her about her mindset, she will 
I guarantee you she'll tell you one shot at a time. And it's kind of a, a statement that so many athletes say, and it can be kind of hard to comprehend. But in reality, it's something that's it's so hard to do because there's so many things being thrown at you. You have, you know, rankings, there's team events, there's tournaments that you need to play well in. Right. And it's really difficult to block all of that out because there's so much outside noise kind of coming at you and so it's kind of a daily you know daily process on how how do I focus on that task at hand I think that's something as um I'm always trying to ask you know other players questions and and um I think something that you know I've I've talked with Rose Zhang about and something that you know I've interviewed Nellie Corda on is um you know they're they instead of setting goals like I want to be the best player in the world, they'll set goals. I need to make 104 footers, and they really focus on just the the mini goals every day. And you know, if you can't achieve that mini goal, then you break it down even smaller. And and I think setting really really small goals every day is something that I've learned really helps you in the long run. Well, I'm really glad you shared that because we have a lot of juniors uh, that listen to this podcast and obviously parents of juniors that listen and always try and grab something out of a guest that can be passed on to listeners. And that's that's great because, you know, whether you're trying to perhaps qualify for uh, you know, maybe the starting five on your collegiate team or you're trying to get into your club championship, if you get too focused on the result, you can't focus on what you're what needs to be done to actually get there. So. Mm -hmm, exactly. And I'm, I'm, I am someone who's naturally a dreamer. Like I get excited about, sure. you know, the success that could happen. So I think for some people it comes easier to focus on the small goals, but then for other people they have to, you know, emphasize it even more because it's so easy to kind of look at what could happen and the success that could happen. And then you kind of get a little too wrapped up in it. Okay. Interesting. All right. I'm learning a lot here. I'm trying to think, <laughs> think, think on the flyer. So, um, so you're talking about being a dreamer and you're talking about what could happen down the line. And, uh, you know, obviously you have this great career at Wake, uh, you know, 2019 ACC title for the team and obviously for yourself as well. And uh, I know that you are, you made this decision recently not to turn professional and this is pretty recent. I mean, this is 2020, this is before you went and played in the uh, Augusta National Women's Amateur. And I know that this is something that was, I mean, I've read articles, done my research. This is something that you wanted to be uh, in your future. You wanted to be the number one player on the LPGA Tour. And the journey that you kind of started in the decision-making process of not turning professional and what it did for your game, I think is fascinating. So, can you maybe walk me through and listeners through a little bit about maybe the time that you started leaning towards, maybe this isn't what I want to do right now. Maybe I don't want to play professional, uh, you know, right out of college. During the time of COVID, I played in the North and South. It was the first tournament back and I played really well. I birdied the last three holes to shoot even par and on, and on Piners number two, that is like the best win you can get. <laughs> um, but I didn't feel the satisfaction and like the triumph, triumphing feeling that I would normally do. And it was kind of interesting. Right. And I was talking to my mom about it. And in January, I struggled a little bit in, um, in college and my final semester at Wake. And 
I just started thinking a lot about, you know, what I wanted to do in life. And I don't know. I mean, something when I was just recently talking about different goals and dreams you have. And I think it's also very, very okay to have goals change and have dreams change. That doesn't mean you give up on a dream. It just means that you have a different perspective on your life. And I think one thing for me was, you know, my goal was never to be a professional golfer. Like that was never the dream. So if that was the dream, then, you know, you play for a couple of years, you see how it goes. If it doesn't go well, you're proud of the years you played. You can say you played professionally. Right. But for me, you know, I wanted to be the best player in the world. And when I realized that, you know, that kind of everyday grind was not something that was actually worth it for me anymore, that I could do something else that impacted a lot of people and was, was more fulfilling and, and didn't require so much emotion, emotional strain, which, you know, any professional athlete experiences just a lot of ups and downs because it's such a difficult and lonely kind of yeah. journey. Yeah, I was just going to say, it, it, it seems like, well, for that life, it has to be all about you and it has to be all about your play and what needs to be done for you to su- succeed and be the number one player. And, uh, you know, obviously don't know you extremely well, but just the limited time we, we've, we've spoken you seem very cognizant of, of others and doing what's best for others and being around other people. That's so being the number one ranked player, that seems like the complete opposite of, of, of that. Yeah, exactly. And I think I kind of realized that and that's kind of what, okay, I don't, I don't think I want to do this at all. And I'm, <laughs> I'm pretty confident in that. Right. Um, because I, I don't, I, I don't want, cause when I feel like, just my experience kind of observing other people and, and being very close to that space. Um, you have this team that's around you and, and, and they're amazing and they're so dedicated to do everything they can to like help you be your best. Right. And then when things aren't going well, you know, everybody's scrambling, everyone's trying to do everything they can, like extra, extra, you know, massage therapy or training or different electrolytes. Like, I mean, all, you know, different practice. Right. And, and for me, that's like, you don't need to do that much. Like, I'm not like that important guys. You know, like, like, please like don't. So, so I, I think just, just having so much attention on, on, on me and having everything on me was definitely, yeah, it wasn't something that I realized was as attractive um, as I thought it, it once was. Um, and yeah, I'm just in a really good place about it. And it's really exciting for me to have competed in some tournaments after deciding not to turn pro and, and to get up on the first tee and, and be really excited and just really having fun. And if a result doesn't go the way I want, you kind of just, okay, that's fine. And that's, that's sports. And then you shake it off and, you know, you go play nine holes with your family. Yeah. And, um, oh, and by the way, speaking of your family, uh, you spoke about your mom. Tell me a good story about your dad. Yeah. So he was, his parents are Italian and he was, they moved to Venezuela before he was born. So he was born and raised in Venezuela and Caracas. And he went to Boston university for undergrad and then he went to Arizona for grad school. So that's where he met my mom. So I've been blessed with just a lot of different cultural backgrounds, which I feel like has really shaped me the person I am today. I um, love learning about other people's lives and perspectives and how other people live and it's 
yeah, so very, very blessed. Um, everyone on my family is finance or engineering. So um, I feel like I'm good at math, but don't quite um, interested in that area. So uh-huh. my sisters are, my sister's in civil engineering. My dad, I think he did electrical engineering. My mom was in finance and I am uh, communication and writing in English. So. I was going to say, you're the, you're kind of the, the, the hippie, uh, the hippie that likes to write and, uh, yep. okay. All right. Perfect. I fully embrace that role. Oh, there, too. there you go. Okay. Um, so oh, I'm really glad that you talked about that. And then of course you're talking about this, you know, okay, I'm going to stay amateur. And it sounds like it literally frees you up going right into the Augusta national women's amateur and about all places to go where you want to have your head clear and also be at peace with your game. That's the place you have mom on the back. I know that was a really special experience for you both because probably, uh, you know, unless there's the you know the, the unique championship or tournament uh, down the road, might have been the last time that she was canning for you. Uh, I've asked different players, uh, amateurs that have played at Augusta National that have stayed in the crow's nest. Uh, okay, if you're in the crow's nest, as you know, like I talked to Scott Harvey and I, I've talked to, um, you know, Stuart Hagestad and, you know, all these great experiences at Augusta National. What was, forget about the golf course, what was maybe one of the experiences that you realized that being an amateur at Augusta National once in a lifetime that, that most people are never going to experience? Forget about the golf course. What was something off the golf course that you enjoyed about Augusta National? I think it was just the way that we were treated. Like we were treated so well and so welcomed and so honored. And that was just really special, especially because women at one point were not welcomed at all at Augusta national and are still, you know, that's still a kind of a work in progress. And so I think that's something that everyone who played in that tournament, regardless of making the cut or not, really cherished like you know we felt we all felt like queens like I remember getting my makeup done before an interview and just like this you know the speeches that were given sure. uh, being at the chairman's dinner I sat with chairman Ridley and um, it was just just the environment and just how welcomed and and awesome way, like how we were treated was definitely like the what really sticks out to me aside from the golf. Now, are you a golf history nut? Uh, you know, some players like, like for me, I, I could probably tell you who won every single master since like 84, but I know that some of my friends or people that I play golf with, or even people that I've had as guests on the podcast, they're not really into golf history that much. Are you a little bit of a golf history nut? Did you, did that kind of add to the experience or, or no? Uh, no, not quite. But if you ask my assistant coach, uh, Ryan Potter, you guys can probably talk for hours. Uh-huh, <laughs> he okay. knows everything. Uh, but yeah, please don't uh, question me on who won when, because I will probably embarrass nope, myself. Won't do that to you. <laughs> we're, we're all about making friends here at the back of the room. Won't, <laughs> won't do that to you. Um, I wanted to, you know, you mentioned this was your first time traveling to the UK for, uh, for Curtis Cup, but definitely not the first time that you have represented the United States. And and I don't want to embarrass you by throwing out some some stats here, but you are you are aware that you're the only player to play in four Palmer Cups. Are you did, did, is that news to you, or have you figured that one out yet? No. Yes, um, I was at the my fourth Palmer Cup. I was um, uh, Roy and Amy Saunders. They uh-huh. kind of acknowledged me, and they actually sent me like the coolest gift ever. Oh. They had this. Um, beautiful like umbrella plaque that had my name on it and the dates that I played. Wow. But they also um, 
sent me a replica of Arnold Palmer's putter um, that he won like 40 PGA tournaments with. Um, so that was like the oh, coolest okay. gift I've probably ever given. <laughs> so yeah, I, I definitely, um, I, I knew that and, and was very humbled to receive sure. that gift from them. So how do, uh, you know, what gets you so excited for, for team competitions? Obviously, you know, great program at Wake. And then we'll, we'll talk a little bit about the Pan Am Games in a second, but obviously Palmer Cup, I mean, representing your country, it, obviously it's a thrill. You've done it so many times. But, uh, you know, what is it about the team environment that perhaps you enjoy over, you know, like, like we just talked about, you really, you know, the professional career isn't something you want to chase, but I'm guessing any sort of a team environment, that's where you thrive. Yeah, definitely. And especially representing the U S I'm a very patriotic person. I love my country. And, um, so I think just that is something that I, um, really hold on to and, and what just makes me so excited to compete. And also in college, like I, I have just abs- loved my time at Wake Forest and loved my team. And I would do anything to honor Wake Forest and, and the legacy it holds, the golf legacy it holds. So I'm just like a big Wake Forest nut. Um, and, and even when I played like on AJGA, they have these, the Wyndham Cup were like the East sure. and the West. Oh, yeah, and, yeah. Um, I freaking channeled that. Like I, oh. you know, I, I loved it. Like I was so proud to be on the East team. <laughs> so you just got just like the East, uh, like face tattoos and and just wearing blue. You were East was blue, wasn't it? Red, red, oh, red. Yes. Okay, East was red. Okay, don't get it mixed up now. I, no, I'm, <laughs> hey, you know I'm you know just doing the best I can here. Uh, uh, yeah, so I get okay. So channeling that and that just led into wake. That led into everything. Yes, yes, and um, I also just I love. Um, I'm, I'm someone that always is trying to include people and make people feel welcomed. Right, right. So and being on a team event, you can really step up and, and do that and, and get people to come together. So that's also an, another reason why I just really enjoy team events. So speaking of, of that, um, I guess, so Pan Am games, just, ha- it's so funny because 2019 Pan Am games in Peru, you know, I've I've had Brandon Wu on the podcast. I've had Stu on the podcast, and I just remember so much about that time because Brandon, you know, after the, you know the four of you, or I'm sorry, it was you and as well as Rose Zhang. So the four of you represent the United States. You win the team gold. You win the individual gold. But what I remember so much about that is Brandon and Stu basically taking a red eye from Peru to Pinehurst to yes. play in the USAM. And then I guess Brandon gets medalist on basically no sleep. Yes. Um, and so what do you remember about that experience? Uh, the, the four of you, and I actually talked to Stu yesterday because I said, hey, um, I, I have Miliacho on the podcast tomorrow. And was it just the four of you? You know, how it's kind of a unique thing. You, you obviously have the USGA staff with you at the Curtis Cup. Was it just the four of you guys just turned loose in Peru? How did that whole, how did that championship go? Yeah. So Brandon had, um, one of his friends caddy for him and then I had my mom. So, um, I guess maybe the six of us and we had, uh, we had two USGA staff. Um, so yeah. Um, eight of us, I guess (laughs) that were kind of traveling around together. Right. But I mean, I think the coolest part was just all, it was 
you know, the Olympics of the Americas. So there was all these other different sports here. It was so interesting to see how the pole vaulters from track travel because they have these like enormous poles <laughs> that are just not like, like suited for travel, but have to get them, get places. With right. Them. Right. Um, yeah. You don't put that and, in the overhead compartment. That doesn't work. No, no. So uh, I think just like being around, so many other sports and there was this massive dining hall where you could see every country and and all the teams and a lot of people exchanged pins sure. so that was really okay. cool and we stayed in sort of the they had uh, olympic villages built sure. for us sure so that kind of whole experience was absolutely incredible and one that i don't think any of us have really experienced before all right, let's see if you can answer this question honestly. Being in that dining hall, seeing, you know, pole, vault, pole vaulters and track and field stars, and did, did you did you four feel like true athletes that week? I think so. I mean, you know Stu. He's pretty confident. In, in, uh... <laughs> yes! Yes! And I, I always love getting a guest to just turn over and give Stu some, some shit. That's perfect. Love it. Um, I, I, don't, I think we were all um, – you know, pretty confident. No, no one, no one made a comment about us being on a golf team. So, okay. but I think we, we would have defended ourselves pretty well. Good. Golfers <laughs> um, are athletes too. Good. Yes. Yeah. I, yeah. Someone can try a counter argument, but I'll, I think I'll beat them there. <laughs> okay, good. Good. Um, well, you've talked a lot about, um, you know, you talked a lot about covering and, and speaking with professional, uh, uh, golfers and, you know, whether it's Rose or Nellie Corda, um, I, I guess we need to kind of discuss the summer internship you just finished. You had a busy summer. I mean, you had to play a little bit of golf, but you have this incredible internship with at the Golf Channel. So, you, you know, you're obviously a communications major. You're chasing after a, a master's uh, now at Wake, you know, very much into, into writing and journalism. And it looked like you – I looked at your work, and it, it's fantastic, but it also looked like you filed an article with GolfChannel.com just about every day this summer from – Everything from Kevin Kisner making a run at the Ryder Cup to the Olympics to, you know, your teammate Rachel. Ha I mean, just you're talking about, uh, I mean, covering everything. I mean, talk to me how this happened. Yeah. So when I decided that I wasn't going to turn pro, I was like, hey, well, you know, I want to I want to get an internship or some kind of job. And I spoke with Ryan Lavender. I spoke with many people, but um I, Ryan Lavner, I knew pretty well from college and he's interviewed me a couple of times and did a really cool story on me when I was at wake. Um, and so he kind of connected me, told me what golf channel was about and what I could be doing. And he asked me what I wanted to do. And I said, I wanted to, wanted to write or do some broadcasting or, um, and you know, a couple of weeks later, I, uh, got in contact with Mercer bags, who's now my boss. And, um, he, he actually had, there was a full-time desk position open, but since I was going to grad school, I was like, well, I can't do full-time, but can I still like work for you guys? And I'm like a freelance or something and right. like have it during the summer. And he was able to work that out and has been absolutely incredible. I mean, he was the one who was getting me these gigs and broadcasting, even though I'm, you know, employed as a writer, sure. um, but he, he was just incredible at just kind of knowing what I wanted to do and, and where my goals were and, and just kind of giving me all the opportunities possible. And it was just, I mean, I just had a blast. Like 
I've always loved writing and to be able to pick players' brains, some that I knew and some that I've watched for years is really special for me. That's pretty cool to just be able to say, you know, uh, you know, hi, this is Amelia Miliatro calling from the Golf Channel, and I'd, <laughs> I'd have some questions to ask you. Do you have some free time? Um, as you know, right now, I guess the the story that is resonating or it's you know resonating through the the world of professional golf is is the the Bryson uh, DeChambeau and, and Brooks Kepka. I guess we're going to call it a saga right now. Um, I'm not going to ask you about that because I think everyone has an opinion on that, and and it's it's kind of <laughs> it's kind of exhausting to be. I mean, perfectly honest with you, I'm just exhausted by the entire thing. So instead of focusing on that, I would love to ask you about. Can you maybe briefly tell me about one story that really resonated with you this summer that you know obviously is not uh, you know not as big as the whole you know Bryson and Brooks debacle. Um, what's one story that really resonated with you? Yeah, I think when during the KPMG, I wrote on Lizette Salas and Nellie Corda, obviously winning. Um, but that was the year, the week that Lizette opened up about her mental health. Sure. And she was really vulnerable. And I was really looking forward to when I wrote this story to really honor her and honor her journey and, and just kind of paint it in, in just a really respectful, but informative way to the audience. And that was an article that I was really, really proud of as well as when Nellie won, I wrote a longer article on her and, and Nellie talked a lot about just how much her family has meant to her. And she got a little emotional when she spoke about her sister, Jessica and, she, I remember she was like, Jess is just the best big sister ever. And it was such a sweet moment that someone as a kid says um, about their big sister. And, um, you know, I think, you know, it's very easy, you know, as an athlete and being interviewed a lot, you have these ritual answers, but to be able to be in a space where you had these two athletes kind of giving just raw answers about um, how they were feeling and being able to write on that was something that was really cool um really cool for me to do well the other thing and the other thing i would imagine is just you're getting to tell the stories on the women's game that obviously i mean they're fantastic stories but you know as well as as anyone that it's just like i said it's not getting even amateur golf forget about men's or women's just amateur golf itself is just not getting the attention that we'd all i think you and i would both like it to get a lot more instead of focusing on you know who i mean look they're going to pick the Ryder cup team which we know it's going to be a handful of guys that are going to get on the team but that's not really a story we can just look down the list mm -hmm. and kind of figure it out but there's some yeah. really good stories on the amateur side especially on the women's side that we need to get them out a little bit more yeah definitely i mean um i think it's been really cool when ncaa has been broadcasted curtis cup i have yeah. all these members at my club mcgregor downs and they're like, oh my gosh, like I had so much fun watching it. And it's like, people didn't know how exciting amateur golf was until it started being broadcasted and written about. And I think that's, what's really exciting to see it start to propel. Yeah. I, I gotta tell you, you know, I spent a, I spent a month on the road. I was at the U S junior Western am U S women's am and U S amateur at Oakmont and, you know, four great weeks, four great experiences, but I think the most fun I had and the most fun, I think the, that I saw in the players faces was it Westchester? Was it the Women's Am? I had, I had a blast, and I just, I guess maybe, I don't want to say that, you know, the, the players didn't take it seriously, because obviously you did, but 
it just it looked like everyone was just having a little bit more fun. Yeah, and I think everyone's just, especially in the amateur golf, you know, at the end of the day, we're trying to play the best golf we can, but we're happy for our friends. Right. We, we root for them and we support them. And, um, you know, I lost to Brooke Say, who's a good friend of mine in the round of 32, and I was rooting for her, you know, to go all the way. And, you know, that, that's just, but that's just kind of how it works, and I think that's the beauty of amateur golf. And I think you had to interview her after, didn't, didn't you? So, so, so you lost in the round of 32 to Brooke. And then right after that morning match, they throw a headset on you and a, and a, and a you know, communications belt and say, go out there and, and, and go to work. Um, and then I think you interview her after she wins. Is that, am I remembering this correctly? Yes. I remember Brant Packer was like, all right, you want to interview Brooke? And, and, and I was like, yeah, I guess. Like, as a joke. <laughs> nice. uh, he's always trying to, you know, pick, uh, pick on me. Um, but yeah, no, it, it was, it was super fun. And I mean, she's just such a sweet girl. So it, it was, it, it feels, um, just so funny to, to have this like professional gear on when I feel like I'm talking to one of my friends right. and I have to give them like a slightly formal interview about how their round went. Yeah. What's, what's been the reaction of your friends when they see you, when they see what you've done, not only just with your writing, but also with your, your on-course reporting, um, I mean, that just sounds like such a cool thing. And also, I don't think anyone understands how many people are talking in your ear while you're out there walking on the golf course. Oh, no. Yeah, it's like four or five different voices. But um, yeah, I think I've been getting a lot of good feedback. I think they get really excited when they see me. It's probably relaxes them a little bit that they see like a face they know and someone that they know is just going to ask them, you know, normal questions and not you know, throw them off, which most writers don't throw people off, but, you know, some people can get anxious about, you know, interview questions. Um, But I remember when I interviewed Mega Gane during the U.S. Open, she was like, oh, this is like so cool because I've like looked up to you and now you're interviewing me. And, And then we got to you know, become really close friends at the Curtis Cup. Sure. So it's just a lot of like full circle moments, I feel like. Like I'm so excited um, to be able to interview um, my peers when they get onto the LPGA and just kind of see their growth. That's awesome. Well, let's talk a little bit about Curtis Cup and then let you go. I'm sure there's some sort of a class involving a, a subject that I would not, not have any idea how to how to get through that class. So so let's uh, let's talk a little bit about this Curtis Cup. Obviously, you get selected right after the the U.S. Women's Amateur. Um, pretty sure you felt. I think you. I, th- I think you would have hopefully agree that you felt pretty safe that you were going to get picked. I believe you're about the fourth ranked American and Wagger right behind Rose and, and Rachel Heck and and Allison Corpus. So I, I'm guessing you felt pretty safe, but. Um, still getting the the tap on the shoulder you, you can't be too comfortable until the usj taps in the shoulder and said would you like to go represent you know, the united states um when did you find out and and how did that selection kind of that looming selection affect you at the at the women's am did you pretty much stay in the present the way the way you spoke about earlier or was it on your mind while you were there at westchester i think I mean, yeah, I, I had to, you know, just focus on the tournament and not think too much about the Curtis Cup. I think what helped is I was like, I'm not going to expect anything because, you know, I haven't played a lot. And I know if I play well in this in the in the USAM that I will probably get picked. But right. um, 
I, um, I think I did a really good job that week of having no expectations, which some weeks can be harder than others. Some weeks you have really, really high expectations and they're on your mind all the time. And some weeks you're able to kind of let that go. I was like, I'm just going to play and have fun with my boyfriend who's on the bag. And, um, and, and that's kind of what we did. And uh, it was funny when, when uh, Jensen won and she was on the green and I was headed back um, to the compound, we were zooming back in our, in our golf buggy. And uh, then I get a call from Julia Pine and she's like, Hey, you got to come back to the green. And I was like, okay. <laughs> like have all my headset on and everything. So I have right. to take it off. And I had a feeling at that moment that I was like, Hey, cause I feel like the, the Curtis cup selection had to be picked within the next 24 hours. I felt like it was going to be really soon when I was going to get the call. Right. And um, so I came up to the green and, and um, she handed me uh, her phone and I got a call um, asking if I want to be on the Curtis cup. And uh, there's a picture of me like jumping up in the air. Really? <laughs> uh, like, I'm not like quite jumped. I'm like on the down, the downfall of my jump, I guess, but I was okay. just like so excited. Um, and yeah, just, it, it was just such a good feeling because when you have such a good amateur career and to be able to kind of cap it off with a Curtis cup, uh, you know, there's nothing like more special than that. Now one, now one picture that I saw, you mentioned these pictures, I saw a picture of you and Rachel Keene and, and Jensen Castle, who we will talk about in a minute, but, um, I saw three of you walking off a tee box during a, during a practice round and the camera, uh, cameraman caught you in the middle of a, of a laughing fit. And I'm sure that was not the first time you shared a laugh with one of your teammates over there. Um, I know you can't tell me every joke and every story that was told, shared in the team room or on bus rides, but uh, who is the funniest person on the U.S. Curtis Cup team? 100% Megagane. She cracks everybody up. Um, she's really good at impersonations. Oh, um, uh, I, I can't tell you though who she was impersonating. Okay. Um, I, I <laughs> uh, it wasn't you. Don't worry. Oh, I, I, I would um, hope not. Uh, but I'm gonna. But it sounds like this is someone that needs to be on the back of the range. I had no idea. Yes. Oh, one hundred percent. You need to get her here. Okay. Um, she's so good at impersonations, but she's just super funny. Like always keeping a light and. Um, I love how confident she is in herself and, and her game and how, you know, welcoming she is and inclusive she is with everyone. But, um, yeah, she, she was just such a great person to have on that team. And, um, yeah, it, it definitely, you know, always making us laugh. And we, we had our own inside jokes that we, uh, bonded over and, uh, yeah, so it was awesome. What now? What experience that you had in Wales that that Rose and Rachel Heck weren't able to enjoy themselves is, and I know this kind of sounds sounds a little, sounds a little strange, but you actually got to sit out of a session. You actually mm -hmm. got to maybe get in the golf cart, put an earpiece in, which of course is no uh, different, you know, no odd experience for you. But you get to throw an earpiece in, ride around, and just kind of spectate. You had Friday afternoon off. Um, I know, you know, fierce competitor, you always want to play, but what memories do you have from that where you actually got, did you actually get to take it in and maybe enjoy the fact that, oh my gosh, this, look what's really happening. This, this is, this is the, this is the environment. I wanted to be here this whole time. Yeah, I, I definitely did feel that way. I was, uh, 
Sarah came over to me and she was like, I'm, uh, you know, it was like a tough decision. Like she was, you know, trying, I was like, Oh my God, don't worry. I'm kind of tired right now. There so you I'm go. Glad, yeah. Like you're sitting me out. And like, I'm, I'm, I was excited because, um, I was ready to, you know, just cheer on my teammates. Right. And, um, cause I, I also really believe that's a big part in, in the, the people, um, who are cheering for you. That's like, does influence how you play um so i was any match that was like close or like down i I was there like trying to pump them up and um it was it was so funny um the audience in in wales they were super respectful um of both sides and they got you know a little loud towards the end but you know they clap and stuff but there was no like wild stuff and then right. um and then we have we have me so one of our teammates makes a pot and i'm like yeah let's go like i'm like screaming <laughs> and then and then you see these like it's always it's always like three like people between the age of like 65 and 75 uh-huh. that like all turn around at the same time like wondering why i'm yelling so loud <laughs> rowdy americans <laughs> yep uh so but i i enjoyed every minute of of just being on the sidelines, uh, I think there's also just such value in that. So you, and, and you know, it would only be natural, you know, you know, obviously I was up at, uh, I don't know why I'm bragging to you that I was up at 5 a.m. watching you guys play because that sounds like you get up at 5 every day to go to the gym. But moving on, <laughs> um, I, I'm up and I'm watching this. And obviously that first day, uh, you know, GB and I gets out to this, this really big lead. And then, you know, the following day you chip away at it, pull, pull even, and then really just – completely dominate the singles but you know i was just curious you know it would i guess it'd only be natural to feel that you'd be the favorites heading in if you just looked at wagger and just looked at you know chalkster across the board and looked at your own team's accomplishments but i mean for everything that the u.s team has done the the, the women of gb and i they're right there with you i mean hannah darling won saint rule louise duncan won the women's am charlotte heath australian i mean their entire and lauren walsh you're one of your teammates at wake you know her game really well what, mm-hmm. what was maybe your mindset heading in that maybe the team had or, you know, maybe how did Captain Ingram prepare everyone? I don't want to get too into the weeds and too granular, but what was kind of the mindset heading in? I think it was really about camaraderie. Okay. Um, you know, Sarah was saying, like, you know, you guys know your game, you know your strengths, um, you know your great players, and it's just a matter of going out and performing or not even performing, but just you know, giving it your all and whatever happens, you know, we're proud of you regardless. Um, I think something that was really important for all of us to hear when we were down was um, how proud both um, Sarah and our team manager, Laura, were proud of us. Um, you know, they said, doesn't matter, like, because, uh, you know, I'm I'm obviously pretty bummed. I lost both my matches and really wanted to get some points on the board. Right. And they were, they were like, Amelia, we're so proud of you, like, regardless, like, always know that and I think that was like really important for us to hear um because our worth was not defined in our game yeah um and our performance so I think that also really um allowed us to channel some great energy going into the next couple days well and I remember watching too I saw a lot of missed fairways from both teams and I also saw a lot of putts that first of all, those greens must have been what eight or nine on stem because I saw just a lot of putts. Just you know, I mean, thankfully everyone was pretty aggressive on the greens because I saw everything just kind of racing by three or four feet. What was the adjustment to 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 Conway? What was the adjustment to that golf course? I think the biggest adjustment were the tee shots. Okay, um, 
I think because the, the fairways are really narrow, but they also run. So run when Rachel Keen and I, yeah, when Rachel Keen and I played in foursomes the first day, what we adjusted the second day was we did not hit driver a lot. Like I hit my three hybrid, which probably carries 215 and runs out 240. Right. Um, and it was like, you know, I'm going to hit this. I feel more comfortable with, with hitting a hybrid, hitting a five wood. Rachel also hits it so far. So um, she was out driving uh, Charlotte Heath with her five wood by like, 15 yards so (laughs) um uh so we just realized that like we don't need driver in the bag in every hole and then we were in the fairway pretty much every time um so i think that was kind of the biggest adjustment um since it wasn't too windy the conditions were like set up perfect for us so there was not much like sideways wind and rain that we had to like also deal with which really makes like links golf hard yeah yeah i remember playing over the uk and it was almost you know, when you look at each hole, I guess how I did it, I said, okay, there's the gorse through the fairway that's <laughs> at about 280. So I would just work my way back from there. I'd say, I can't, I can't go 280. I know I'm going to get 30 yards of roll possibly. So I can't land at 250. I need to land at 230 to, and you just work your way yeah, back. Exactly. Okay. Um, you mentioned briefly uh, the U.S. Women's Amateur Champion Jensen Castle. Uh, her trip, you know, I spoke with her before she left for Wales. She was uh, a guest on the podcast, and she just briefly talked about the whirlwind of going from a women's am, and then all of a sudden, hey, by the way, uh, you're you're going to Wales. Um, <laughs> and obviously, she was not on the radar of making that team. Uh, you know, she made the team by by winning the women's amateur. Um, that's a she's got a hell of a personality that she had to be a lot of fun in the team room as well. Yes. No, she was, she's incredible. <laughs> like her personality, her game. Um, no, we had an intense foosball match before oh, singles. Why, why are we now just only getting to this now? Okay. So did she break <laughs> well, the Well, you table? brought up Jensen. So okay, let's, uh, I love it. Go ahead. <laughs> so um, it was, captain uh sarah ingram and myself um and then uh and then jensen castle and might have been rachel heck i I actually can't quite remember who jensen played with i was clearly very focused on my own game at this time (laughs) um but we were so we were down four zero, you know, the scoreboard is to 10 and we we're like, okay, so we we're getting some points. All of a sudden it's tied up and it ended up being like back and forth. So it was nine to nine. Okay. Um, and we got the winning point and, and then, and then, and then Jensen, they, they all like fell back on the floor. Like, no. Oh, gosh. <laughs> uh, so it, it was, it was so funny. Like before singles, we were just over here, like screaming in our team room. <laughs> And that's how you get prepared to to go out and uh, and gosh, I mean, this single session, just everything kind of clicked. And, and you know, Jensen had this incredible comeback to to scratch out a half point in, in her match as well. Um, I don't, I, I I remember a little bit of the celebration in 2019 uh, for the for the men at the Walker Cup. Um, unfortunately, due to COVID, it didn't seem to have the same kind of feeling. But I'm guessing that the celebration and the party on the way back was uh, something you'll remember for quite some time as well. Yes, I definitely will. I actually think so. Our caddies, they came to our team room, some of our caddies, because they're around our age to kind of celebrate and toast. And sure. um, but the best part was when we were we were kind of playing, we were playing ping pong, chatting, playing music. 
And then uh, the GB and I players storm in our, into our team room. Hannah Darling has the ox in her hand and she, and, or like a speaker in her hand. And um, so that was the moment where it was like, it got like super exciting and, and so uh, more wild, I guess. <laughs> so both, um, both teams celebrating together. Yes, we did. And I think that, that was honestly the best part. Cause That's like, so cool. um, yeah. And it, it, it was just so fun. And, you know, we, we went down to their team room for a bit. They had like a bunch of chocolate. And I remember Annabelle saying, she's like, yeah, the chocolate in America, it's just so terrible. And I was like, <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, so thanks. she introduced me to some incredible European chocolate. There you go. Um, but yeah, no, it, it was just like such a blast. Uh, definitely, despite COVID, we were able to um, celebrate and, and enjoy um, not only the victory, but also just the whole week. Well, you know, it's really a shame that you'll never be able to, you know, experience a Curtis Cup ever again because you're you're going to be so focused on your master's program at Wake, you're probably not going to be playing a lot of golf. I mean, even though the Curtis, is, Curtis Cup, we're going to have another one next year in June because with COVID, with canceling, you've got to kind of get the calendar back on track. But, but there's no way. I mean, it, once in a lifetime, you're never going to experience a Curtis Cup ever again, right? You're not even going to try to even – potentially put yourself in, do you see what i'm doing here are you picking up on oh, the, oh i i i see, I see what, what you're doing you yeah here? you want me to shut up I'm... and just let you talk now <laughs> yeah i was gonna tell you you're really funny <laughs> okay thanks go ahead yeah i mean i would love absolutely love to have the opportunity to play the curtis cup again um i'm actually talking with my coach today uh-huh. I, I just need to you know it's all i just need to figure out like how i could potentially do it but if I don't, if I don't do it, if I don't get the opportunity, that's fine, but I'm going to try. Yes. Um, and you know, I don't know how that looks and I'm, I'm fine with not knowing how that looks. I'm fine with, you know, halfway into the end of the year. I'm like, actually, I don't think I can do this any, like, I, I don't think I can do it. And, right. or, or, you know, it's not feasible more, not, not that I can't do it, but it's not feasible. You know, that's fine. But, um, I, I'm gonna, I'm, I have that as a, as a goal of mine and, and, kind of just see see what happens and see where that takes me um and i'm excited to you know not quite be done do you uh yes and i'm just giving you a hard time i think uh especially in this unique situation with i mean obviously if you had to wait two years to get another, another chance that just adds more time and more uncertainty but it sounds to me that you will figure out with with you know the people around you you'll figure out the the path to get yourself in the conversation for june at marion and Captain uh, Captain Inger will be back for another year at the helm, and I'm guessing at Wake, uh, your your coach uh, Coach Llewellyn, at the, I mean, you probably could get a discount on range balls or something while you're there. You could probably work something out, right? Yeah, a little more than that. They still have my locker up there. Oh my um, gosh, move out already! What's wrong with you? No, I'm just. Kidding. I know. Um, I might come to team workouts at some point. <laughs> my Vanessa was like, Amelia, you should come tomorrow. <laughs> um, so I, I still, it's really nice. I, I feel honored to still feel very like a part of the team. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm excited to like watch them and, and kind of the local events that they play and follow them. But yeah, definitely still on the range and, mm-hmm. um, I kind of go at some off hours, but, uh-huh. uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, true or false? Am I going to be shocked if I see like you know Amelia Miliacho volunteer assistant coach? I mean, if I, am I going to? I mean, how surprised am I really going to be if I see that on the on the Wake website? Am I going to be surprised at that? 
No, probably not. Okay. Um, right. just, 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 just check it. All right. I'm just kind of, not that I'm channeling or like, you know, putting it out there in the universe, but I'm really not going to be surprised <laughs> when I see that. No, I mean, I kind of am doing everything right now and, and absolutely loving it. So yeah, if I throw in like volunteer assistant, mm-hmm. yeah, don't okay. be surprised. <laughs> okay. Just, just, just checking. Um, well, I'm going to get you out of here. I know you got, you got a class to get to, but, um, you are, uh, obviously, uh, writing, you're doing a lot of writing for golf channel. That was your summer communications major. You're also a novelist. You already have a, a novel published. So you have uh, lots of experience in, in writing. Um, so if you were to craft a story full of uh, maybe some of the interesting characters with these rich personalities at on the Curtis Cup team, um, give me, I don't want you to single out anyone specifically or feel that you need to include everyone, but give me some of the characters that uh, you might be able to write a story about on, on this uh, on this Curtis Cup team. Who are the rich characters besides uh, Megagane? Yeah, I think um, I loved to see kind of Rose's personality come out and she was just laughing and having a ball, but you know, just she's, she's like a very graceful um, and and very sweet and very kind. Um, And Rachel Keene, she's, she's very bubbly, but a ton of energy, but also like so competitive, like the most competitive person out there. Um, I loved, we we were playing when we play um, together on the course, she will like, um, talk about the other players and like whatever say stuff oh like whatever say like different things and she says it like just like a little loud where i think like they might like kind of oh, hear 30 oh. yards back <laughs> but like she but like i don't know i don't know she just okay. you know her voice projects a little loud and i'm and i'm like kind of laughing like quietly not quite sure if like they can hear like from afar and my cat he's like yeah rachel does not care at all <laughs> okay so little uh, maybe a little gamesmanship but she's fiery we'll just we'll just say she's fiery how's that she's fiery she's she's fiery um and it's awesome to to be a part of that um i would say oh but rachel heck she comes out of nowhere with um sarcasm like you don't expect it at all Um, and then she'll throw out this like sarcastic remark we're like well yeah but like i don't really like amelia so like i don't want to play with her like just totally like Uh out of nowhere Mm -hmm. and it's just funny because like she's she's hilarious but like she's so kind and sweet that like when she makes a comment like that, I'm like, I, I always get thrown off because I like am not quite used to the contrast. Right. Uh-huh. Oh, <laughs> um, so, yeah, I would say um, this sounds like a reality show. This sounds yeah. like a reality show uh, waiting to happen. I, I, I think so. I mean, that's I feel like that's any team, right? We all have different personalities, sure. and you could kind of make a reality show out of out of all of us. <laughs> oh my gosh. This is great catching up, Millie. I know we spent a little bit of time. Actually, we had a lot. Of, we had some fun at. Uh, we didn't even talk about the fun we had at the U.S. Women's Am, making fun of the, the some of the USGA staffers when we went out with uh, with Shefty. So we we didn't even get into that. That'll be next time. But um, I appreciate you taking the time to recap uh, this incredible summer. Whether it's you know your internship or the Women's Am, and obviously the Curtis Cup. Uh, it was it sounds like it was a, a dream summer. Enjoy the next chapter. See what I did there? Enjoy the next chapter of, of, of life so far. And um, we'll catch up again soon, I think. we got to talk some more golf. Yeah, we definitely have, I feel like, a lot more uh, chapters uh, to go. But thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. And there you have it. What a great episode. Thanks so much to Amelia Miliancho for joining me this week here at the Back of the Range. Again, follow along on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, 
Every link that you need is in the show notes of this episode, or you can just go to the website, thebackoftherange.com. I'm off to Kiowa. See you next week here at the Back of the Range. <laughs>